welcome to episode 6 of the African Intel Affairs podcast. My name is Pilani Jamili, and today I have the pleasure to introduce Dr. Asimwe Solomon Muchwa, who is the leading voice on security sector reform in Uganda. He is publicly known for authoring the book Democratic Consolidation and Intelligence Oversight in Uganda, Implications for Emerging Democracies. And he can be considered one of two trailblazers in in intelligence studies literature as far as Uganda is concerned. He's currently affiliated to Nkumba University, where he is the director for postgraduate studies and research, but also an alumni of Cranfield University, Makerere University, State University of New York, Albany. His research endeavors have mainly focused on intelligence oversight mechanisms in the protection of democracy. And most notably, he has previously been stationed in the office of the president in analytical and advisory roles. Solomon, thank you very much for making the time uh, to have the sit down uh, where we can have a conversation with you on intelligence oversight in Uganda. Um, I guess to get things moving in the right direction and sort of lay the groundwork, I'd like to start with something which is uh, addressing the conceptual issues when it comes to um, oversight of intelligence agencies. That, you know, considering the fact that intelligence agencies are integrally purposed to have this capacity for misdirection, concealment, subversion, and an and an unbreakable code of silence. And I mean, in essence, this is the work that they do uh, in the interest of protecting national security. Um, You know, what can be said to address this paradox that is intelligence oversight? And how is this manifested in, in, you know, in the Ugandan context? You want to know what can be said to address the paradox that is the intelligence oversight and how this has manifested in the Ugandan context. Now, I would say uh, the mission of intelligence, uh, really intelligence serves two purposes. The first is to inform policy. The second is to support operations, be it military, police, or covert with the goal of ensuring state security. And uh, we also need to note that democratic states seek to restrain their intelligence against their own citizens and ensure they do not overstep their legal and ethical boundaries. But what is important is to know under what conditions a government agency, uh, like intelligence agency, can legitimately conceal or conduct surveillance of a citizen. And the, the most problem, uh, actually the problems are mostly with the counterintelligence agencies because they work with the citizens. Uh, the intelligence at least works abroad, but the counterintelligence services work within the citizens. So uh, we need to note that what uh, the condition that can really allow these uh, agencies to legitimately conceal or even uh, conduct surveillance. However, we should not be saying that intelligence services should not conduct surveillance or even remain secret because they are important, they carry out a service that is very important for national security. Now, of course, the 
the predominant approach has been to focus on the means of domestic intelligence. In other words, the procedures for authorizing, for example, eavesdropping or wiretapping, uh, searches, and surveillance. If you look at the case of the USA, the Church Committee recommended the criminal standard to domestic intelligence. In other words, limiting domestic intelligence investigations to where law is violated. Now, this was to avoid FBI, for example, being used to investigate political opponents of the president. And so in the case of uh, Uganda, we'd want to ask, for example, uh, the role of ISO or Internal Security Organization, which is the counterintelligence service. What do they do uh, and how do they cut out their work when they are carrying out this work, do they uh, uh, surveil people? Do they uh, cut out? Do they ask for permission to eavesdrop and all those kind of things? That we shall be looking at this later on. But the other approach is to ask what the proper objective of such a surveillance or uh, in a democracy should be. That is, what are the threats that are driving domestic intelligence activities? And what extent are people engaged in legal activities subject to surveillance? Uh, if someone is a political opponent of the regime, and uh, do intelligence services carry out surveillance on such a people? Is that criminal? Because uh, looking, uh, competing politically is not criminality. But uh, while authoritarian regimes have been notorious for using intelligence services, against the opponents to the political leadership and the regime, uh, we note that democratic states are supposed to protect freedom of, of speech, uh, opinion, assembly, political opposition, and political protest, and even dissent, unless they threaten violence and they, they threaten national security or they want to overthrow the government. Uh, and therefore, uh, I would say that, uh, yes, intelligence services must uh, serve the purpose of, of serving people, and they must be democratic, like all other agencies of the state are. You're pretty consistent with the way in which you mention legal limitations and, uh, you know, uh, that oversight is supposed to inculcate this process where uh, you monitor such that an entity does not overstep the legal bounds. And so, which sort of leads me on to this next question, which is, in your opinion, you know, has the parliament of Uganda fully honored the requirement that's stated in the constitution that it would establish a new legal infrastructure through which the intelligence sector is supposed to operate? Uh, I, I think you meant uh, the 1995 constitution of Uganda. And uh, I would say, yes, the legal regime uh, includes uh, the constitution of the Republic of Uganda, the Security Organizations Act 1987, uh, which establishes the two intelligence services that we have in Uganda. That is the Internal Security Organization and the External Security Organization and then the terms and conditions of services uh, of 2000. Now, the intelligence services, ISO and ESO, are different from the past agencies because theoretically they are supposed to be accountable 
and the legal reform establishing these uh, it's establishing the mechanisms and also institutions that regulate how they work uh, or how they work and how these organizations are organized and how the staffs are to be uh, the staff are, are to be to behave uh, there is a law at least uh, in theory okay and the legal regime i can say exists yeah but uh, the implementation may be different and the, there are many oversight institutions and also mechanisms mentioned in the law books in uganda it depends on what to be supervised whether money administration or discipline so there are many institutions in terms the auditor general uh, there are parliamentary committees uh, there's the parliament uh, as a whole so for example parliament can summon the director generals to appear before the committees of parliament especially on issues of the budget uh, yes but the, the question is in a ugandan case the intelligence services feel not comfortable to appear before this parliament uh, since they are omnibus committees. There are no special parliamentary committees on intelligence where they can feel free to, to talk to members of parliament. They always claim uh, because of issue of national uh, security, they, want, they may not want to speak uh, before omnibus committees. They may want a special committee, which doesn't exist. But at least generally, uh, they can oversee, they can, uh, list, they can discuss the budget. So the presidency, uh, the Minister of Security, and the other agencies can also do so. They can oversee intelligence services. There is no law that stops that to happen. Hence, I would say the agencies should not be above criminal law. Uh, the question is, does this happen? Uh, I would say uh, somehow yes and no. Uh, sometimes the, the, the parliament can pick the courage and, and, and summon the Minister for Security uh, to report on behalf of these agencies. Uh, sometimes the, uh, the parliament summons these agencies and they, they refuse to go. Uh, recently we had a case in Uganda. Uh, where members of parliament wanted to inspect uh, safe houses and the people had complained so much for, 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 for harassment by intelligence services, the director general refused to appear. So the judiciary also has some indirect oversight function, especially to do with the issue of interception, uh, where the security agencies should seek uh, for the warrant from a designated judge. And the, the agency cannot detain a person, for example, uh, this is the police that must do this work to of arrest. Uh, agencies by law are not supposed to arrest. But they go ahead to arrest. We have just been in an election in Uganda, and the, there are so many reports around that the, the army, the intelligence services, <coughs> sorry, have been arresting people. And sometimes putting them in ungazetted places. So uh, some kidnaps have been reported. So these are some of the challenges, of course, and Parliament, of course, must uh, wake up and, and question and summon. Uh, yes, they have gone ahead to summon uh, these agencies, the minister, ministers responsible. So there is uh, the Uganda Human Rights Commission, which also oversees agencies' activities directly. Uh, the IGG is also claimed, the, the IGG is the Inspector General of Government, is also claiming to have an oversight role on intelligence services. So what I'm saying, yes, there are 
theoretically uh, institutions that can do oversight the the, the legal regime but uh, i think uh, the, the 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 implementers the overseers are not very confident enough to do this work and uh, and also may, maybe the legal regime is still weak it's very very uh, eye opening to hear some of these conditionalities that that the uh, that the intelligence services impose um, when when asked to appear before parliament and that uh, they seek a distinction between special committees and other regular uh, omnibus committees you know one could definitely argue that uh, the very fact that there is an omnibus <laughs> committee as you've termed it um, means that that actually is the general public uh, you know fulfilling its democratic function in a way uh, whereas a special committee while it caters to some of the concerns of the intelligence services also limits the amount of uh, uh, um, open interrogation into whether they overstep those uh, said legal marks that uh, that you were describing earlier but all of this needs to be put into context um, especially insofar as the security sector reform doctrine and its origins, you know. Um, so what do you have to say about the viewpoint that, you know, the principles of reform or, or oversight are so entwined with donor dependency, um, as has been described by other authors like Andrew Agaba? Um, and what does this mean for overall, overall efforts at security sector reform, you know, when the pressure for its implementation is largely external as opposed to being internal? Um, I would, my take here is that, uh, yes, the security sector is central to people's welfare because security is necessary for effective and durable development. However, it requires well-managed and competent personnel operating within an institutional framework that is defined by law. Now, this is because a badly managed security sector hampers development, it discourages investment, and, the, and it can help to perpetuate poverty. <clears throat> uh, I, I would say there's been a reform, yes, security sector reform in a way, uh, uh, right away from early 80s. Of course, uh, uh, security sector reform is a relatively new concept which developed quite rapidly during the mid and late 1990s, <coughs> largely in the developed countries of the North. But me, I always say we, we, have, we have had uh, security sector reform in Uganda even before the 90s. Uh, when the government of NRM, I think, came in power, they started reforming the existing uh, security sector. That's why I mentioned the, the, the intelligence law, which was 1987, and many other uh, issues were, were, were put forth in reforming the security sector. Um, <clears throat> of course, uh, the, uh, in the 1990s, security sector reform were inspired by the need to provide development assistance to post-conflict countries and to act more coherently in the context of peace uh, missions. Though, uh, we need to note that uh, there is no global accepted definition, but uh, I can define SSR generally uh, referring to a process to reform or rebuild a state security sector. 
And that's why I'm saying that in Uganda it could have even been there before the 1990s because this is what the government was doing to reform or rebuild the existing security sector. Uh, so SSR is not an end point, but rather I would say it's a process. And the, this is because both international and domestic security requirements are dynamic and the, all states have to be able to adapt their security sectors to meet these demands effectively. Traditionally, as we all know, security was more state-centric and it's only the state that could define a security. But today, uh, we know uh, it's not only the state that is concerned with security and also there are other non-traditional threats to security uh, the non-traditional threat to state that are interfering with the security that may call for other other sectors other than the state and and so uh, reforms are very important to ensure that uh, everybody is concerned uh, not only about physical security but human security uh, environmental security food security and all other sectors so SSR cannot be imposed from above that we need to know that as you mentioned in your, in your question, yes, yes, they may, they may, we may have donor assistance, uh, much as the models from advanced societies may be useful as different points. It is unlikely that they will be successful if they are used as rigid blueprints for reform. Uh, we need the stakeholder buy-in uh, because even the models they bring or the systems and methods that are going to be built uh, need the home support, they need the uh, uh, people at home who will continue running them. Yes, different agencies create, uh, uh, different legacies create uh, environments which require local context-specific strategies for reform. Uh, you can, if you go to Britain, they have what they call the, the British Constabulary Model Policing, which is different from the gendarmerie tradition in France. Uh, which is different from the Carabinieri model in Italy, or they are also different from the role of interior ministry forces that we have in most of African uh, countries. So uh, the way security is set is different and the arrangements are different. So I don't think we can uh, impose models from above uh, to, to work effectively in uh, some of these countries. So we need to grow our systems. We need to, to, to have, of course, stakeholder buy-in uh, for these systems to operate. But it is important to form uh, security forces, as we shall see later on. Uh, most of our, especially now, talk about the intelligence service. Uh, most of the intelligence services have not been reformed, uh, much as they have tried to reform the police, uh, the army, the intelligence services uh, have not been reformed, uh, to say the least. Uh, thank you very much for this question. You know, in 2016, you know, you published a book, um, as I had mentioned right at the beginning, um, titled Democratic Consolidation and Intelligence Oversight in Uganda, Implications for Emerging Democracies. And uh, now that we're in 2021, five years from that initial publication, you know, you were observing the implications for other emerging democracies, uh, including Uganda, which brings me to a question on what your broad thoughts are on, you know, the prospect for intelligence reform and oversight in other African countries. Um, 
Yes, I've already hinted on this in the other question above, is that uh, we need reform, of course, not only for intelligence services, but for the entire security sector. Uh, now, in established democracies, it has been domestic security agencies, i.e. FBI in USA or the security service or MI5 in the UK that carry out counterintelligence. And so everybody knows the counterintelligence is carried out by those internal FBI in the USA and MI5 in in in, in UK. Uh, and, and, and by the way, as I said, in intelligence, the intelligence the, the, the intelligence community that really um, uh, is more concerned is the internal security system, as I said, or the counterintelligence system, because as I said they operate within the domestic uh, circles. Now, this is not the case in the authoritarian regimes. Uh, uh, of course, um, these regimes, I, I sometimes I fear to call them authoritarian. Maybe I can, we can call them less developed, less democratic uh, regimes. Here, the boundaries uh, and the functions of military intelligence, the police organizations, they overlap or even they become indistinguishable from each other. Uh, when you come to Uganda, sometimes you may fail to know uh, the difference between the, the internal security agency, the police, or the CMI, the, 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 the intelligence in the army, which is known as CMI, Chieftains of Military Intelligence. Uh, you may not know uh, which one is which. Now, these in less democratic uh, regimes, they, they rely more on intelligence organizations to identify domestic opponents and neutralize their opposition to the government. And this makes intelligence services uh, central to power and they grow in size and power. So because the, the, the regime uses them to protect them on power, they become so <coughs> important and strong, <coughs> sorry, uh, to the extent that uh, it's not easy even to oversee them or the civilian authorities to oversee those agencies. Now, the overwhelming focus of the intelligence services in most less democratic governments or regimes in domestic opposition, and uh, it is not, it is more on domestic opposition, those who are opposing the, the ruling power, but not other states. And that's what the challenge is. Uh, when they are gathering intelligence, is more about to political intelligence other than enemy intelligence that the enemies who are against the state. Uh, because this would be more to do with the other uh, states or forces or criminals or threats that are coming from other states, but their concentration is more internal. And this uh, brings a challenge. And the, they then gather political intelligence from all and sundry uh, they could even include the legislators, the judicial officials, or even other sectors in most cases are not related to criminality. Now, uh, there is need, therefore, to reform intelligence services in most of the African countries so that uh, they are subservient to democratically uh, elected civilian authority. And uh, if uh, the elected government officials cannot control intelligence, it is by definition not a consolidated democracy because democratic consolidation requires both the institutions uh, that can do the work uh, and also the culture of democracy. Uh, the, the culture must be embedded within these agencies from training and they know that they must, be, they must respect human rights, they must respect civilian authority 
uh, and, and they must be accepted to be accountable. It is a huge task, of course, to begin reforming intelligence organizations uh, because of their broad scope and deep penetration in many less democratic authoritarian regimes. Uh, this uh, challenge of promoting democratic consolidation and reform of intelligence organizations, I would say, is worsened by little knowledge about intelligence functions and organizations in most African countries. Yes, the, the knowledge about intelligence is, is, is known by very few people. Only those who are concerned in it and few academics, uh, you can imagine in this country, even publishing an article on intelligence, some people fear. Uh, and yet this is a civil service, this is a, a work anybody can do, but uh, the, the knowledge is limited. Uh, even our legislators or other of, uh, oversight organizations may not actually know. Sometimes they even um, maybe opt not to even want to know. So in less democratic countries, uh, the intelligence organizations resist change, but also legislators know very little, as I said, about what is involved in those intelligence services. And the, there is also fear, which perpetuates the lack of information. Uh, the one time I was doing an interview, I went to parliament and the, and the asking a, a whole member of parliament to, to uh, whether they have ever gone to the intelligence service to see where they sit and whatever. They, this member of parliament told him, but why do it? What do, to do that? To, what, to do what? Why should I go there? These agencies are supposed to be uh, supervised by the president and that's all. So you can imagine, this is a whole member of parliament. You see, uh, those are the challenges, of course, uh, uh, there. The issue of secrecy is another one because uh, how would you, um, how would you uh, 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 oversee uh, a, a, an agency that you don't know what they do, you don't know how much budget they have, uh, because of secrecy, most of these things are not open. And so even members of parliament may not exactly know how big these agencies are, uh, how much money they spend, and how they spend it. Thank you very much. So, um... I have caught wind of the fact that you have a forthcoming book, you know, which you're presently preparing for publication. Um, what can we look forward to in this special issue? You have, you're asking that I have a forthcoming book, yes, which uh, I'm, present, I'm preparing for publication. You wanted to know what can we look forward to in this special volume. Yeah, my forthcoming book is looking at the security sector and how it impacts the stability and development in transnational democracies using Uganda as a case. I am uh, editing the manuscript, but I have uh, not yet got a publisher. But in this book, I want to show the security development nexus. Uh, I want to show how security is very important for development, but also for development to take place, there must be security, but also for security to do what they, their work, they need the resources, and therefore they must support development. Uh, I'm trying to show uh, the, 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 what a country can benefit from, this, from stability that comes from having an organized security sector. Uh, thank you very much. Solomon. Thank you very much for making the time to have this conversation, especially so soon after the Ugandan elections. Uh, you know, we have seen a lot of media reportage regarding the activities of the intelligence services 
in Uganda. And uh, of course, this is an issue of concern, especially when there's huge allegations of human rights abuses. And uh, this, this little chat with you really allows to shed some sort of perspective, very, very realistic. And you've been very, very frank. Um, and it lays out all of the issues on the table as far as the work that is to be done. Thank you to everybody who had the opportunity to, to tune in to this special session uh, with Dr. Asimwe Solomon Mucha. Until next time.